Welcome once again to No Apology with Emily and Chris. Thank you for spending a little bit of your day with us today. It's exciting because this is the best of program. Emily and I are on vacation this week. And so, uh, you know, it's going to be a fun week. So we thought, <laughs> do we have enough stuff for a best of show? Yeah, you seemed a little crunchy there. Mm. Uh, best of. All right. Don't you need something that was good? <laughs> <laughs> No, we had we, we we had trouble choosing the top three interviews. In fact, I know Don Keith is going to be a little bit sad because he didn't make the top three. But we're going to bring you three interviews back to back to back today. And it might be a bit, a bit of a longer run. But these are the ones that have impacted the audience the most. And there are number four, five, six that are pretty close. But we're going to go with Al Robertson of Duck Dynasty. Very good. Steve Biondo, the president mm-hmm. of the Tim Tebow Foundation in Jacksonville, Florida. And Brian Dawson, the president and CEO of 1819 News. Those three stories on our show, the first six months we've been on the air back doing the Emily, uh, the Emily show, mm-hmm. um, I thought we're the, we're, we're, we're you, you, we could easily say they're the top three. They're the well, podium finishers if you're running F1. Uh, you, you know what I mean? But nothing against four, five, and six. They did great. <laughs> There's not a stinker in the bunch. Not a stinker in the bunch. <laughs> so don't forget, you can always go back and re-listen to any podcast, any broadcast that you'd like to. I'm just so thankful that you're here. Don't forget freshroadmedia.com. That's home base. You can go there and be a part of this ministry. You can either give online. And when you do, there is a little thank you that we want to send to you for those who stand with us on an ongoing basis. And also you can be part of the show. We are just loving and wanting people to submit a question. What are your thoughts? Go ahead Give them to us right there at freshroadmedia.com. There's a couple different ways to do that because we want you to be a part of it as well. But in the meantime, um, enjoy this. And Chris and I will be back again in the hot seat a week from today. Well, yeah, today, you'll, yeah. you'll hear back from us with a fresh show a week from today. But until then, yes. uh, enjoy what we call the best of No Apology with Emily and Chris. And best of is, I guess, in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> So you guys have a great week. Enjoy this show. Yes. Enjoy. I'm telling you, these three interviews, they're, they're top notch for anybody because of the, the guests and what they shared with us. That's why we're wanting to reshare them with you. Have a great week, everybody. So on behalf of my best friend and bride, Emily, my name is Chris. You get into God's word today and go and serve your king. Enjoy the show. We've got a great program scheduled for you today. In fact, we told you the guest, uh, the guest of honor on our yes. pilot episode is none other than Al Robertson from Duck Dynasty, and he joins us now on our guest cam and our guest microphone. Al, how's it been going for you, man? Man, it's been going great. How are you guys doing? We're, we're settling into Iowa. We've been here for about eight months, and believe it or not, they love me here, Al. Yeah. They do. <laughs> Well, that's shocking, but 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 good, but good to hear. It's good yeah, to know that you're loved, Chris. It's always good yeah. to know that. Ah, uh, yeah, Chris I'm is not a, surprised. Chris has I'm been a surprised. little whiny with the with the winter hanging on so long, but he he's going to be okay, I think. Yeah, I'm going to do just fine. Al, you you and I we did some stuff with Bible idiots, and we've also done some speaking stuff together. But for the last three years, like like a year before COVID, and then all through COVID. We haven't touched base much, but you guys got off with Unashamed with, with your dad and your brother and some other things have been going on. But I, I always kind of keep up that you guys are still doing some marriage ministry. So you, I don't know if you even remember this, but you were the first guest on the Bible Idiots podcast, and you were the first guest on the Chris Danielson show that lasted 10 minutes in Birmingham. I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> it's like every time I start a new project, I call you up and you're like, all right, I'll, I'll come, come hang out with you. I, I'm not sure if I'm like the 
your your, your flagship or your sinking ship. <laughs> I may be the kiss of death. <laughs> you, yeah. might should, you might should put me down the line somewhere just to see if it works out. Before you. Oh, that's I, funny. I feel like I'm I feel like I'm the breaking the baba bubbly on the Titanic every time I come on one of your new projects. So I don't... <laughs> yeah, we are kind of a walking Titanic, aren't we? Well, uh, we don't we don't call you the kiss of death out loud. (laughs) (laughs) At least not to my face. Yeah, no. It's been a blessing just the stuff that we've gotten to do. The biggest thing that we've gotten to do, though, is we've gotten to see the Lord do incredible things through uh, our my family, our efforts, and of course through your family and, and your guys' efforts. But what's been going on lately? What 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 do you see happening? Unashamed is just off the rails successful. You got to be pleased about that because I remember we were actually talking in West Monroe one time, like one of the last times we were on about you starting this podcast. And now here it is, you and your uh, now Zach's your cousin. Yeah, Zach's my cousin. Yeah, you and, and Zach uh, were going to take off and start doing some of this stuff with CRTV, and one thing led to another, but here we are. To tell us a little bit about that journey, because that's kind of where we left it. Yeah, I kind of feel like my, my story's a lot like uh, yours and the em- Emily story. You know, we're just kind of going where God leads us, and uh, we were in full-time ministry, and of course, in the show, you know, Dynasty comes along for the rest of the family, but not really for Lisa and I, and so... You know, we just kind of from that point forward, it just feels like we've been just kind of pinballing wherever God takes us. And so uh, after the show ended, you know, nobody was really doing much of anything else. And, uh, you know, I was kind of volunteering at the church. Lisa, by this time, we've written some books. And so we're doing some, you know, speaking and we do some appearances and we did some cruises. Actually, you and Emily came along on a cruise with us. and We had a blast. That was a great uh, time. Yeah, doing some marriage stuff. And so we just kind of, you know, okay, Lord, you know, we're not sure exactly what you have for us. I wasn't sure if I was going to settle back into a full-time work somewhere because that's what I'd done, you know, for most of my life. Yeah. And then and then all of a sudden Zach calls and says, hey, at this time it was uh, CRTV. Uh, he said, you know, they're, they're interested in, in your dad doing a show and it's a video blog. You know, it's, it's a vlog format and it's like mm-hmm. these 10, 10 minute videos. And I was like, well, okay. And so it was kind of like an inside joke is that who would have thought that dad out of all people <laughs> would be the first post duck dynasty person to have his own show. And, and, and yet that's exactly what happened. And so uh, we started producing this little show and you were on it. I think, I think we had you on uh, an episode or two. Yeah, I was a guest and I, I directed a couple of the first uh, like segments. Like, do you remember when we were in Michigan and we yep. went to some of those hunting lodge places and I was, you know, being able to direct your dad was pretty, pretty awesome. You know, yeah. plus I was his driver that weekend. And so I know what it's like to pull up to a red light and have people look over and see Phil Robertson sitting in the passenger <laughs> seat of my car. That was pretty fun. And you know, the concept was we just sort of, literally followed dad around with cameras and where we were in that case we were in michigan you were with us and we just kind of let him do his thing and uh, we would just let him preach the gospel and kind of just you know feel being feel and so uh, we actually did 800 episodes <laughs> i mean wow wow over the course of four years but during that process uh about maybe two and a half years in uh, they approached us about doing a podcast because it was in dad's contract to do a podcast. And of course we had never, I don't listen to podcasts. Of course I'm aware of them, but I didn't know much about it. And so, you know, I'm a preacher and so is dad. So we're thinking like sermons, you know? And so I, I guess we're just supposed to get on and preach like on the radio, you know? So I started listening to podcasts and I said, no dad, it's like a conversation. 
and they want us to go like an hour. And Dad said, an hour? We'll put people to sleep. You can't. Nobody's going <laughs> to listen to you. Because, again, we're thinking totally just preach, you know. And so uh, so we started doing this. Po- and, and it's kind of funny now because looking back on it, you know how you start a project and you're not really sure. So we weren't officially on board yet. They're still working out contracts and blah, blah, blah. And we're still wrapping up his other show. And so so we start doing this thing. We were calling it, um, I think we were calling it In the Net. And the whole idea was we, we talked about fishing because dad, dad was a commercial fisherman and then he became a fisher of men mm-hmm. and as, as did all of us. And so we kind of went this whole thing that's, you know, that we were like commercial fishermen, but now we were, you know, we were trying to catch people, you know, for the, with the gospel. And so that was the kind of the basis of our podcast. And so it was just me and dad and I was just volunteering because I just figured dad would just preach for an hour and that probably would get old. Yeah. And so I thought, you know, I, since I was producing the show, I thought, well, I, I at least need to kind of provide a little balance. And we didn't really have anybody else. And so we put Dan, who was dad's kind of right hand man. He was kind of just the guy that was hanging around asking questions on the podcast. Yeah. So it was the three of us and we did about 20 and I thought they were OK. They weren't great. And then all of a sudden, Zach Cosmos says, oh, by the way, we signed Jace. So we're totally changing the format. Dan's out and. It's going to be you, you, you know, hosting, and it's going to be Jason, your dad, and we're going to call it Unashamed. And we had this whole thing; we kicked it off, and and of course, the rest is history, as they say. But I mean, now you know we have millions of downloads, and obviously, it's making a huge impact. It's turned into a real discipleship uh, type approach, I think, because yeah, of, it started sure. out a lot of young men, I think, that used to watch the show, and now they've kind of come to age and faith. But the audience has grown. I mean, it's no longer just one you know, you know, set of people. I mean, it's everybody. I, Cause I travel still a lot and speak and everywhere I go, it's like, Oh, we love the podcast. And it's every age range, every gender it's, it's everybody. So, and, and, and the feel of it is a little bit different every time, depending on who, who's guests or what, what, what topic or who did what that you guys springboard off to, but you always circle back to the gospel. Yeah. And it's basically just a Bible study when blaze now CRTV uh, merged with Blaze, which was Glenn Beck's uh, group. And so now it's become Blaze TV. And so they're still, it's their platform and they're political, you know, they're like conservative political, but they basically, they said, we want something biblical. We've got enough conservative political guys. Uh, and so, cause you know, we were thinking they wanted that because dad right. did a little bit of that on his other show. But so we were like, they were like, can you do straight Bible? I was like, can we do straight Bible? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Between the between the four of us, because Zach is is also a part of the team too now, and between the four of us, you know, we've got about 120 years of Bible teaching experience. So we just do straight Bible study. We do have guests on, and it's a wide range of guests. Sometimes it will be a little political, like we've had Ted Cruz on, and we've had uh, Ben Carson, and you know, national nice. figures. But then, we, but then we've also just had you know, like my local preacher, or you know, other people as well. So. Yeah. That's awesome. So I got a question for you because you know I know your dad loves to share the gospel anywhere, anytime that he can. But when you bring these new ideas to him and you're talking in this techno world, which I feel like is, I mean, it's beyond my ken. Uh, what's his response? How does he react to these new ideas that people keep bringing to him about doing different stuff? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's funny, Emily, because dad, 
take, and I guess rightly so, I kind of laugh about it because he, he takes credit for the success of the whole thing because we were on an airplane one time coming home from an event. It may have been from Michigan. I don't know, but Zach was with us and he, he kind of pulls Zach and I say, he says, boys, we got to get on this internet. I don't know anything about it. (laughs) I've heard about it. I'm not sure how to turn it on, but I know it's out there. But we got to get on that thing because if the Apostle Paul had had a tool like that, he would have been on it in a heartbeat. So exactly. It's funny. it's funny. So he's like, he recognized the power of it. So the running joke on the on our podcast is every time we talk about the internet, he's like, that's why I don't do it. That's why I don't get it. That's why I don't own a computer. That's why I don't own a cell phone. But then he flips it around and says, but I'm so glad we're on it because that's how we're preaching the gospel and that's how you're hearing what we're saying. So it's, yeah. it's like personally, you know, he doesn't want anything to do with it, but but in his heart, he knows that we're doing something good, just like what you guys are doing. So yeah. that's that's what we talk about. Look, you know, there's always good and evil in, in potential in everything. And so we yeah. can take something, use it for good, or obviously the evil one can use it for bad. It's, it's, exactly. it's our choice what to do. And the good thing about the Internet is, you know, you're not going to get shipwrecked, stranded on an island. You're not going to get bit by a snake by using it. So, yeah, there's some advantages well, there. What I wanted to make sure I got in, this is the only thing I was going to say about it because it's what – attracts me to the show. I love the name Unashamed because yeah. both times I was with Phil when he was speaking, Romans one sixteen was his text. And um, every time we would talk about stuff, it would always come back to that, being unashamed. And Emily and I have a testimony of your family where we got to see behind the scenes at a deep level. Y'all really don't care about all of the peripherals. Y'all just care about serving Jesus and well done, thy good and faithful servant. And that's kind of cool. That's why it's awesome that you can come and put the kiss of death on this show on the pilot episode because <laughs> if it's not about the gospel we don't care we we just want that's all we want to do so um, well, i think that was what i originally what i loved about you guys because uh you know our original meeting was just literally a cold email that you sent saying you were doing bible idiots and we happened to be in nashville at the same time yeah and you're like hey we're gonna be hanging out in this hotel room filming if you want to come by i mean you could have been like a porn industry as far as <laughs> I, I, I mean i didn't have any idea who you were but there was something about that that i found enlightening i thought you know i like this these guys are just doing it these guys are just going all in and they're unashamed and so I came down. It didn't turn into anything weird. We had a great time. And <laughs> we promise it wasn't weird. <laughs> it wasn't weird. But, you know, and we became fast friends. But you're right, Chris. I mean, I, I think the best part of this whole thing for me, I say this all the time, is the people that I get to meet along the journey. I mean, and I've met so many wonderful, amazing people. Whereas, whether it's at an event. I was just up in Tennessee last week. Lisa and I were there. Yeah, we were right. speaking. We were speaking at a uh, at a, a pro life uh, for a pregnancy center, and I and so we shared the stage. At least I were kind of the headliners, so to speak. But we, it wasn't a headliner because the people we shared the stage with there was a twenty three year old beauty queen uh, from Tennessee, and she was beautiful, and she had her sash and her crown. I said, "Oh, I wish I would have brought my crown." You know, we could have been twins. <laughs> For the one time I was Mr. Pinecrest in the eighth grade, the only title I've ever had. <laughs> Mr. What? Mr. Pinecrest. Mr. Pinecrest. It was a school I was at, but anyway. Okay, gotcha. But but anyway, so it was her, and then there was a a Down syndrome young man that was 33, and he and his mom spoke, and they were from Paris, Tennessee. 
And we all shared the stage because all were involved around a teenage girl who had a decision about life. Right. And obviously everybody had chosen life except for Lisa who shared her testimony and how that impacted her. But Mm -hmm. I just thought, you know, the power of meeting people along the journey who are unashamed to share their story. I mean, that really is what it's all about. And, and so since we've been doing the podcast, it's not just Romans one sixteen anymore about our being unashamed, but it's also when you find those verses like in Hebrews where it says God is unashamed to call us, you know, his children. Yeah, that's Jesus pretty is, cute. Jesus cute, uh, is unashamed cute. to call us, you know, his brothers and his sisters. So, you know, it works both ways. So it's just been, it's been a fascinating journey so far. So we'll see where it goes. Well, I've loved the friendship and the relationship that we have with you guys. Uh, For me personally, because I love to see how Lisa is really a force behind you and, and she has really helped you become who you are and vice versa. But you guys have such a great testimony. You're not uh, ashamed or afraid to share those ups and downs and what God does for you through those downs. And out yeah, and of ups that, and downs doesn't even do justice to it. You guys have been through a lot, and what a testimony. Well, uh, yeah, where was I going with this? I can't remember. <laughs> um, but, but it's been a demonstration of that marriage relationship. It's yep. not always perfect, but it's powerful. So are you and Lisa still doing a lot with marriage, or what's going on there? Yeah, we do. Uh, we most, I would say, probably about two thirds of what we do is in the life sphere, just because there's so much opportunity and so much need out there to raise funds for pregnancy centers and, yep. and right to life groups, uh, and that's a big part of our testimony. But the other third is probably marriage, because that's a big part of our story, as you guys know our story, uh, and we've written about that in our books. But you know, even our local church, like so, we did this event uh, last week, and I was happened to be preaching back home because. So I, so I've been volunteering uh, back home at our church to preach ever since our young pastor left. So our temporary setup is now entering its fourth year. And I've discovered that as long as I'm willing to do it for free, they're willing to allow me to do it for free. So, <laughs> so one thing I found about funny ministry, how that works. Yeah, it's funny how that works. It's like the mafia, you know, it's just like, I thought I was out, but they're pulling me back in. So, so I had to preach back to back weeks. I told him I expected double pay, but I'm learning about math. Emily, two times zero is still zero. So, uh, <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah, so what I found out. But anyway, so, so I, I woke up and I was thinking about this text and I'm north of Memphis. We drove up there. And so we're driving back and I had worked on my sermon. It was out of first Peter four and the text was so good, but I just felt like, I mean, the Holy spirit was just pressing on my heart. I needed just like a mini testimony to just kind of pull that together. Mm-hmm. And we do this a lot back home. And normally though, because of the way our church is set up with live stream, you know, I'll get somebody maybe record a short testimony and just, you know, insert it into my sermon. But you know, it's Friday and I'm preaching Sunday and the wheels have already, you know, to try to put something in this late in the game was gonna be really difficult. And so it's just like five in the morning. So I'm praying about this and, you know, I'm, I'm looking through my notes and my scripture and I look over and there's Lisa, still asleep. And so it hits me. I'm like, what if I just got a mini, got her to do a short version of what she did last night, which was so amazing, uh, you know, up here in Tennessee. So I had to wait till she woke up before I could ask her. And as, <laughs> it's, so, I didn't want to just wake her up out of this. So, how, hey, 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 no, hey, I got no, an idea. I got to know how this conversation went. Uh, hey, hon, you're preaching on Sunday? <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, Holy Spirit's waking me up. And, uh, 
<laughs> so right she, when she woke up, I let her get her coffee. And then I said, hey, I got an idea. And uh, so first I was thinking record it. And I said, why don't we just, just we'll just do it live. And so we, we kind of worked on it driving home. And because, you know, I mean, like we normally tell the whole story, but we had to like shrink it down because I only had like, you know, five to seven minutes for her to tell it. But it was so amazing. And mm -hmm. even at home, she got up. It was funny because she said, you know, I, I never get nervous, but I don't know. Maybe it's because we're home. I'm nervous. And she said that to to our church. Mm -hmm. And uh, I looked at her, you know, because it really surprised me. But she just it was so humble and it was so awesome. And of course, you know, we're in a room of people because at our church, we have all these people in these recovery houses. And so many mm -hmm. people didn't don't know our story. Do you think it's our church? How do they not know your story? But they're new. I mean, they, they come all the time. Mm -hmm. And so it was such a blessing. Because that text was so powerful because it's the word of God. But when you combine that, just like Revelation 12, 11, when you combine that with the word of testimony along with the blood of the lamb, mm -hmm. man, then you get something powerful. So, yeah. So to answer, that's a long answer to your question, Emily, but we're even doing it at our own home church as well as all around the country. Awesome. So it's, it's still a blessing. Al Robertson is our special guest on the pilot episode of No Apology with Emily and Chris. And did you notice we flipped the name, Al? It's I it's like not it. no apology with Emily. It was supposed the show was supposed to be called No Apology with Emily Danielson, but the consultant said if I talk a lot, I'll be like a blowhard. If my name's on the show, then I can do whatever I want. So well, I'm told I have to be reason, here. Dude, you can't do whatever you want. <laughs> hey, hey, we've only got about uh, eight minutes left with the time that you've committed to us. But so I want to I want to have you share an old story. It's it's something that I've heard you tell a couple times, and I and I. I hate to even bring it up because I know it gets tiring. Like I asked Bart Millard one time, how sick are you of singing? I can only imagine, you know, it's kind of like that, but you didn't start on the show for the first couple seasons. And that was almost by your design, your desire. I would love for you to share the story about how the family took off with the show while you guys stayed as pastors at the church because you wanted to, and then slowly you just became part of the show. And you're the oldest brother, so you're watching all your little brothers basically become world famous while you're still pastoring the church. And I think that's an incredible story of God's grace and goodness from my seat anyway, and I'd love for you to share a little bit of that. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of weird because I mean I always thought when we started the business I went to school and and I, I majored in business because I always thought I would run the business. You're the oldest son. That's kind of you know what would happen. But mm -hmm. God had another path for me when Jason and I we we were starving to death trying to build duck calls and so we went into ministry thinking we were you know taking a step up money wise. So they, that, <laughs> <laughs> who does that? That shows you how dumb we were. <laughs> Uh, well, I, I didn't know I was taking a bow of poverty, but I did. And, uh, <laughs> right on. So we were in full-time work. And so when, when Willie had this idea about the show, we had been had another show on the Outdoor Channel. Right. And it was very successful. And since they were only filming, you know, sporadically, Lisa and I were a part of the show because we were part of the family. So it focused on the business and hunting mostly. But so we were there and we were part of it. So we assumed when they did this new show, you know, we would do the same thing, but that they come in and said, we're going to be filming six days a week. And, you know, it's a full-time job. Well, all of them work for the business. We didn't. And so we would have had to have left, you know, the, our work at the church. And, and so I just, you know, I wasn't ready to do that. It took me quite a while to 
convinced myself to go into the work, I sure wasn't just going to leave on, you know, on the whim that maybe this might work. And so there's no guarantee that it's not going to be six episodes no. and then done. And then everybody's right. To well, work, they, right. They only guaranteed like whatever it was, it probably one season's worth of shows, probably 10 episodes. And so, you, you know, you don't know that it's going to work. So it probably was into the second season before it was a bona fide hit, you know, and so it was going to do well. And so by then, you know, we're thinking, okay, well, maybe, you know, we should consider. And of course, by now the business is exploding because all these people that are watching the show are wanting to buy duck calls and they're not duck hunters. They're like, you know, four year old girls wanting to buy a duck call. You know? I, know. I, have no. a, I have a duck call. We, Emily has a duck call. There you go. And, and when's the last time you took a duck hunting, Emily? Uh, you know. Never. Never. Exactly. <laughs> so, so everything, so it kind of lined up for that. But I tell you, I don't know if I've ever told you this, Chris. So the, the, at the end of season three, the producers get together and, you know, they're every, every season they're like, oh, is everybody happy? Because by now, it's a runaway smash. Right. And so everybody wants everybody happy. They're, they're in negotiations for a new contract. So now we're, everything's kind of tentative, you know. And so they had this meeting, you know, with all the cast and all the family. And mom, of all people, says, well, I'm not happy. Oh. And they're, and they're like, oh, Miss Kay, which is the last person you would ever expect to have a right. problem with, right? And they're like, Miss Kay, what is it? She said, well, America and the world... On, they only think I have three sons and I have four sons uh-huh. and I want my oldest son to be on this show. And so you've got to make that happen if you want to make me happy. Mm-hmm. And they were like, well, he will be on the first episode. <laughs> next year. And is that when they came up with the wedding reenactment was That's, at that meeting at that casting? That was meeting? at that casting meeting. And so yep. the, that, that birthed the idea of the, it was called till duck do us part. And it's, <laughs> it, it is, it is still to this day, the highest rated, cable television reality show ever oh, over 12 wow. million over 12 million viewers that night cool. uh still the highest rated ever and i told willie speaking of christening i told willie i said and that was my debut uh lisa and i, I said if you'd have got me on the show at the beginning there's no telling where this thing could have gone because obviously <laughs> obviously they were looking for a beardless robertson you know lisa says Lisa says I'm the best looking Robertson, which I appreciate. But if you look at a picture of our family, the bar is very low. Uh, <laughs> well, it's, if size in there, it's, it's even lower. So. That's right. Not, not very hard. Yeah. So, you, and you actually had to stay beardless, like because you you started branding yourself as beardless, bro. Because I mean, yeah. we were together one time and it was hunting season, and you were growing it out like you are now. But you you told me you're like, I got to shave because I got this thing coming up or something. I don't remember how that went down, but well, it's the it, same reason why they had to keep theirs long as I had to keep mine off. And right. uh, of course, to be honest with you, Chris, the reason I grow one now, and of course Lisa allows it. She ne- she doesn't like me having a beard at all. Yeah. But she she allows the short one, and the reason I grow it is because I've gained some weight in my post duck dynasty years, and I'm not sure how many chins are under this beard. Yeah, and that's so what I got going I, on right here. Exactly, I'm kind yeah. of afraid to look, and so you know, until until I'm ready to like take a look, we're just going to keep it like it is. Well, I remember Jay shaved like three or four years ago and like broke the mm. internet because he shaved. Yeah, you know. If I shave, I'm going to break the scale because I'm immediately going to gain like 50 pounds if I shave my beard off. So if a beard makes me look slimmer, are you good with that? <laughs> are you? I got to say, it's got to go both ways. Nah, no, not nah, really. Nah. Well, I, I could do it. I could. I, Al, could. I, I thank you so much for being part of another pilot episode. And we're hoping that this one goes. This is kind of Emily's baby. It's her show. I'm so happy to to partner alongside her to be a part of this. But what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to share 
Christian Living and Bible Apologetics with No Apology. So the name of the show is No Apology with Emily and Chris. We're tired of everybody apologizing that we're Christians, and like we have to walk on eggshells, and that is not the power of the gospel, and I would really love to get your thoughts on that. No, I agree 100%. In fact, you know, we obviously went through a national, uh, I don't know, microscope moment, uh, you know, during the show, and because of what we believe, and that's really what led us to being unashamed, because, you know, when you're on, when your family, especially your dad, is on cable news every night for a week, uh, because of what you believe, then that's going to put you to the test. And, mm-hmm. and that's what I love about your podcast. I mean, the name of your show is we we never apologize because there's nothing to apologize for. The, the truth is the truth. God is who he is. And we are who we are. And we love people and we lead people to Christ. So they can say what they want about you, but you don't have to apologize for the truth. And there's mm-hmm. no there's no reason to do that. And so the big mistake people make is when they worry about what somebody's going to say about them on social media. Just you just adhere to what God says. Be His people, love people, mm-hmm. and lead them to truth. That's what that's yeah. all you got to do. Absolutely. Well, and you guys are a living example of Jesus's reward because you think about it. When you guys first started, I mean, there was conflict where it's like they didn't want you guys praying, you know, the prayers and saying Jesus' name and stuff like that, but Fast forward now today, you were you were faithful, you did what God called you to do, and now they're saying, no, we want the Bible stuff. We want the, you know, the political stuff, that's fine, whatever, but we really want the Bible stuff. And so Jesus' reward when we are faithful in those works in the beginning, he gives us more work to do, and it's absolutely glorious. Well, I just wanted to share with you uh, one of my favorite memories of my whole career is we're in Seattle. And, and for those of you who don't know, when the Robertson Marriage Cruise comes around, Al, you are the boss. You're the Ooh. boss of the cruise. And That's so you right. said we had this free afternoon, and then we were going to be meeting. So we took our free day. We went down to the, to the fish market in Seattle. We come back. We're walking through the lobby of the hotel, and all of a sudden I hear your mom literally yell, Dems my Bible idiots. And she comes running over and hugs Emily. It was just one of the most special moments of my career because we got to do stuff like that. So thank you for allowing us to just be ourselves and and uh, just share the gospel and try to be creative. And who knows what God's going to do with our efforts, but we see kingdom results and that's all we ever want, whether it's you know, successful in this view or unsuccessful in that view. We just keep plugging away. And so I'm really glad that you took some time out to be with us. Anything you'd like to leave with our initial audience today, you get final, final word. Well, one, one thing is I just say that I'm so proud of you guys and just the work you do for the kingdom. And, you know, I have some friends around the country that, you know, because we're all busy doing kingdom work that we may not have a conversation for a few months, but when you when you do have the next one, we pick up right where we left off. And, and you, you and Emily are those kind of friends to Lisa yeah. and I, and we appreciate that, what you do. I love this show idea. It's going to be great, and mainly because it's Emily's show. And so, <laughs> right on, I'm with you. Th- therefore, I think it's going to be blessed, and uh, and I'm glad to be a part of it. But you, I, I love uh, the concept. I love what you guys are doing and, and where you guys are working. And uh, look, we're fellow soldiers, you know. Yeah, in, in the absolutely. Mission, so. That's the beauty of it. Uh, speaking of a small world, and you want to hear testimony about those bean fellow soldiers, we are sitting here in, in Harlan, Iowa, and the former pastor that was here, he unfortunately um, passed away from COVID. And uh, But here's the thing. We got called here, we came here, and we found out shortly thereafter where he got his education to become 
a pastor was right there at White Ferry Road. Really? And it's like yeah. small do you, do you, world. That's crazy. Do you, do you remember a guy 30 years ago named Joe Pennington studying with you? Yes. I know, yep. I I'm the pastor Joe well. of Joe Pennington's church, and he passed away two years me? ago. Well, I knew that I had heard he had passed away, but I had no idea it was a connection to where you guys were. Yeah. It's on, yeah, it's it's small world. I mean, uh, yeah, Joe Pennington studied with you guys 30 years ago. Yeah. And then he died, and then we became the pastor of the church two years or a year and a half after he. he so the church he planted is, I'm now the senior pastor yeah. of. For many years, he pastored his church just south of us in uh, okay. Pineville, Louisiana, about two hours south. Yeah. And uh, I knew Joe well. Yeah. Uh, wow, what a small world. That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, we got to figure out a way to get you and, and Lisa to Harlan, Iowa, somehow, some way in the, in the next year or two. And uh, we'd love to circle back with you. But uh, thanks for coming on. Uh, no apology with Emily and Chris. We really appreciate it. Right, it's my pleasure. Love you guys. All love right. You love you too. Our special guest is a very special friend. If you have the friend in your life that you've been serving Jesus alongside, and you just find yourself praying for them all the time because they're doing stuff all over the globe. And then you kind of think, well, maybe they're praying for me at the same time. Well, my friend like that is Steve Biondo, and Steve joins us live from Jacksonville, Florida. Hey, Steve, <laughs> glad, glad you could make it. Chris, Emily, great to see you guys. Always, always. Always, yeah. always. Now, we we started this show. I said, you know what? Al Robertson and Steve Biondo will be our first two guests because they always are. You're always our first guest. Well, Al was on <laughs> Three months ago now, and we just finally got a time where you can join us. I'm I'm really excited to have you on the show today, bud. Thank you, man. So good to be here. Can't wait to chat a little bit. Well, first of all, I got to ask, because we have not talked face-to-face like this in, in a long time, and I haven't asked you this in years, but do you get any feedback about the Bible Idiots movie? Because if you go to Amazon, I, I, I listed everybody who was in the movie, you know, like Al Robertson and Jim Daly and, you know, just alphabetical, because how do you rank them? I mean, they're all interviewed. Erwin Lutzer. But Steve Biondo's first. So if you go to Amazon and search Bible <laughs> Idiots, it'll say directed by Chris Danielson, starring dun, 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 dun. Steve Biondo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the only place on earth where those words are ever, <laughs> ever used. Yeah. Right on, right on. Well, you enjoyed being part of the project still? I loved it. And, you know, people who pick it up, yeah, it's kind of the, the friends in our circle of life will see it. Um, they might Google me or for some reason. Um, they get it and a hundred percent is a hundred percent of the time. So it's, you know, several, you know, conversations where folks go, that movie so inspired me to get more serious about me developing my ability to defend scripture, to defend the gospel. Um, so it really challenges people to go deeper into their apologetic. And a lot of folks have said, you know what? I didn't know those things. I didn't know that these were the truths about the scripture. Mm-hmm. You know, what the number of books, the way it's defensible, the archaeological evidence, the historical evidence, the prophetic evidence, they don't even think in those terms. So it really turned yeah. out to be, for the folks who have spent the time with it, like a stimulus to go deeper, to get smarter, and to develop their own ability to defend the faith as well as God's Word. Yeah, I have always felt like I wanted it to change hundreds of thousands of lives, and God said, no, we're going to have thousands of lives changed, and that's fine. Yeah. And never, yeah. but. But the concept was there, and it really made an impact. Um, yeah. Well, uh, here's the thing about the project, because it was very collaborative. We had so many people involved, and that's what happens. Iron sharpens iron, right? And so <laughs> yeah. we learned a lot of things. That I mean, there's some things, Steve, that you said in that movie. And as, you're, as Chris and I are going over it and editing, 
you hear those things, you know, a hundred times in the Beyondoisms. <laughs> there another are several, word. several yeah, Beyondoisms. I can't, yeah. I can't hear the term Maseratic text and not think of you. But right? that's a, that's a story oh, for later in the show. Oh, no, but there's another term, um, cartoon Jesus. Yes. I mean, Chris's congregation knows what cartoon Jesus means now. It's just a term that that we've carried with us. You said it and, and explained uh, it, and it's stuck, and it's so helpful. And so that's kind of the way it is, you know, when you come together and you you work collaboratively with the body. Yes, I said that word rightly, collaboratively. <laughs> collaboratively. With, with the body. She's a professional broadcaster. But now Chris, Chris was saying how when he thinks of you, he just thinks of that person that's praying for you, and, and he's praying for you, and you're praying for him, whatever. But when I think of you, I think of this is a guy where Christianity has impacted like every single aspect of your life. Because as we got to know you, I mean, it's like um, your your physical workouts, the food that you eat, the things that you do, the things you consume, the the work that you do, the play that you do, the way you um, move through life with your wife even. It's like... Mm -hmm. Everything is centered around, every aspect of your life is centered around Christ. Talk to us mm -hmm. a little bit about that. Man, um, thank you so much. Um, it, it's um, very humbling, actually, to, 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 to be seen in that light. Um, my wife and I really, uh, we've lived a great life. We've lived, uh, we've been 41 years married together, still on our honeymoon. No. So um, you're you, thinking it's going to last. It's going to last. It's going to last. I'm kind of hooked on her. Um, like the, the, th the, the, the phrase that we use to remind ourselves, because we all need these memory hooks, right? Mm -hmm. The thing that, and it, we, we got it, um, you know, from just studying together. Um, but the idea of being Christ exalting. So in all that we do to be Christ exalting, physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, socially, be Christ exalting. Be Christ exalting when we're driving down the highway and there's this guy in front of me driving slow in the left lane. Listen, right? Chris, I mean, listen. He's yeah. making a point. <laughs> listen to this. When <laughs> it's, 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 when we can, it's when we can be in those smallest, simplest places of life when we can remember to put Jesus on display in our thoughts and our words. Mm -hmm. That guy's not going to hear me, but I am going to be heard. And mm -hmm. so in those little places where it's where we can really craft our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so the big stuff, I think, is easy, like, you know, on stage, in front of people. But it's the little things when you're by yourself, it's just you and the Lord, where you can put your relationship out there and really do the work of what it mm -hmm. means to be Christ exalting. So that, so in the harder places, right, or in the more public places, actually, it's probably a little bit easier because you're kind of on, quote, unquote, a stage. So that's that's been kind of the secret sauce is to remember to be Christ exalting in my thoughts and my words and my deeds. And it's a work project, right? It's always a battle. Um, but that's really kind of the impetus and the drive. And then just to do it, radical dependence upon him, because, yeah. you know, we don't got this. We don't yeah. got this. You know? If you're just if, if you're not trying to figure out who Steve Biondo is and you recognize him from the Bible Idiots movie, it says he was the vice president of Family Christian Stores at that time. Uh, family Christian Stores uh, went out of business and nationwide and you sent in your packet. I remember praying because you don't get, you don't just turn in a resume to the Tim Tebow Foundation. It's like no. you had like this armor 
you know, Brink's truck bring a, a packet this big of all of, you know, your, your yeah. elementary school grades. But I remember praying for that. But you are now the president of the Tim Tebow Foundation, and you've gotten involved in so many things. You were traveling before with the James Foundation, which was the outreach arm of Family Christian Store. So we've had you in third world countries since we met. Like, you're traveling all the time. It's like, where is Steve today? But you're settled down a little bit in Jacksonville, but you guys are still all over the world. Tell us about what's going on yeah. in, in the Tim Tebow Foundation world of serving Jesus today. You bet, man. It's been my privilege. I've been here now over five years with the Tim Tebow Foundation, and it is um, no disrespect to the previous elements of my life, but this has been a privilege. God has given me this incredible opportunity to serve in one of the most unique organizations and ministries that I've ever seen. And so the, the, the foundation is committed to bringing faith, hope, and love to people in their darkest hour of need. Essentially, we fight for those who can't fight for themselves, and we serve some of the most vulnerable people on the planet Earth. We serve orphans. We serve those who are trafficked uh, in, in the terrible, horrific trades of human trafficking and child sexual abuse. We serve those with special needs, and then we serve those who are medically fragile or who have you know, complicated medical conditions or life-threatening illnesses. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're privileged now to serve in 86 countries. Wow. Um, yeah, so it's really gotten massive and God just continues yeah. to favor us. We've got global staff, we've got 25 global partners. So there are things that we do on our, on our own. We have direct care, we have our own survivor campuses, we mm -hmm. have our own schools, we have some of our own hospitals, we have our own operations um, that uh, enable human trafficking to be fought against. We push back evil directly. And then we partner as well. And our partnerships are very strong, very unique. And we don't start a partnership and then go away. Our partnerships are long-term. They're designed to create a catalytic um, ministry in that space and then grow it to another part of the country or another part of the region that they operate in. So it's become a beautiful model. Um, we have a great leader, founder, and Tim. Tim is he is Christ exalting. He's intentional. Mm -hmm. He's disciplined, compassionate. Um, the unique thing that I didn't know about Tim, because you just wouldn't know this, but how super smart he is. Mm. Um, he's just got an incredible perspective, a very quick mind, and this passion to keep going and going and going for one more life. And that's just infectious throughout mm -hmm. all, of TT, all of TTF. Yeah. Yeah. And him and I, uh, when we stand next to each other, th people think we're twinsies. <laughs> <laughs> they do. They got you. When you guys were here, it was just so confusing. I looked up and I, I kind of yeah. Did a, is that I Chris? Is that Tebow? Who is it? You know. Like, wow. wow. Hey, all I can tell you is, is when we were about to take that picture, and I leaned in his ear and I said, "People are going to think we're twinsies." He busted out laughing, so we got that going. <laughs> yeah, but I do. I love um, because you refer to the people that you help as MVPs. And, yes. And you you said the the term earlier, most vulnerable people, yeah. and just listening to the vast array of people that you do reach out to, what's really incredible when you think about it is that anybody could, you know, at the drop of a hat, become yeah. one of those most vulnerable people. I mean, it, it's an outreach to everyone, potentially. To your, to your neighbor, to the person in the line at the grocery store. It is mm -hmm. being, being, I love the way Jesus made it so simple for us. Love God love people, put the interest of others ahead of your own. And yeah. he's given all of us amazing gifts, right? So if we just have this, I have a simple mission statement. Um, hard to execute, but simple to say. And it's real simple. Wake up, 
serve, repeat. Wake up, serve, repeat. <laughs> and boy, so it's clarifying all day long, right? Steve, so, you know, we are writing a leadership book, which uh, I'm still struggling <laughs> to get the manuscript to you. But uh, time, that book time. you just described ain't going to sell. It's, there's only two pages. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. There's, there's more to that story. But, all right. But, but. All right. I thought I had it at, at repeat. <laughs> <laughs> Wake up, serve, repeat. Keep going, That's a bro. good motto. That's yeah, a great keep, motto. Keep going. Well, that's, you know, I found, I think we all have, when we are serving, we are the most like Jesus. When we're serving, mm-hmm. we are at our best. Actually, we're, yeah. our, we're, we're the most powerful, right? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and uh, if we could, as a nation, as a community, as a church, as a neighborhood, as a family, serve one another, all this nonsense that's spinning on, you know, going on and spinning on around us, a lot of it would disappear. Yeah. That we, we went by serving each other, uh, find incredible joy. We find incredible joy. Um, but we also find that we can have incredible impact on other people. Mm-hmm. And we're set free when we serve. Um, we just aren't worrying about ourselves. You know, people come away from these mission trips, right? Best week of my life. Well, what happened? You just, you were focused on somebody other than yourself for a whole week. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. It's not, it's, it's, so it's just capturing that in our daily lives. Yeah. That we find so much joy. We put Jesus on display. That is Christ exalting. And he's equipped us and called us to do so. So simple yeah. statement, hard to execute because we get in the way all the time. But boy, what a sweet, sweet consideration. Yeah. So that's, Emily, that's that's the sauce, right, that we live in. Yeah, because uh, it's really what we're created to do. And so mm-hmm. if like anything that has been created, if you're using it in a way that it's not supposed to be used, it either gets broke or it ruins something. But when you're using it in the way that it's supposed to be used, it's mm-hmm. like you said, the word sweet is, a, is the perfect word. There's okay. nothing sweeter. And we were created to love God and love one another. Well, let me just jump in here, Steve. I know we got about six minutes, seven minutes left with you. I want to ch- turn the table a little bit. I want to talk a little bit more serious now uh, about mm-hmm. taking it. Well, we not not no. It's not that we've been unserious, but I'd like to go into the reality of pure phone, pure computer. Mm, and, gotcha. and Jim Caviezel's movie finally made it to the screen, and look yeah. what God's doing with it. I mean, it's and you guys have the Tim Tebow Foundation, at whatever <laughs> level you can talk about it, because some, some's confidential, I get it, but you mm-hmm. guys have been in this battle for a long time. In fact... Uh, when I got to come and hang out with you in Jacksonville, and you know, by the way, if you don't know, Tim, uh, Steve is the president of the Tim Tebow Foundation. Your staff loves you. You love your staff. I, I got to sit in on a staff meeting. That was really, really cool. And you guys are your hearts in it. But this was one thing that you guys have been doing for a lot longer than the the movie. You know, just coming out and getting everybody's attention. T- take us yeah. through where you've been and where we're going with this, because. Uh, my my fellowship here, the church that I serve, I've got guys and gals here. I think that really want to get on board and do something in this space. Yeah, good. Yeah, I'll try to talk through a quick progression. But human trafficking is, I think, one of the most horrific evils on the planet. And there's two forms of human trafficking. And the movie that's out is very good. Um, I haven't seen it, but I've read a lot of reviews from our partners, and they really they 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 really do give it a very strong mark. So, but it does expose the street crime of human trafficking, and it's evil and it's horrific. And we need to know about that. And that's one aspect. The other aspect is what is going on online. And that's child sexual abuse material that is literally for, uh, it's just, it's the viewing of children in, in, on the open source internet or on the dark web who are being raped, who are being mutilated, who are being hurt. And sometimes it's happening in this country. Sometimes it's being filmed in another country. But there is live streaming of this horrific stuff. 
and it is horrendous. And there's a thousand more, this is FBI statistics, a thousand more crime sets in the online space than there is with the street crimes and brothels and, mm. and, and massage parlors and those kind of things. So both are horrific and both need to be defeated. Um, the difficulty is, is that it's just it's an advancing crime set because more and more people are engaging in it. Mm-hmm. And so we, we are in the fight in many ways from prevention and awareness, helping create policy, working with lobbyists, working with our, our policymakers in Washington, D.C. To, for better laws, for um, more freedom for law enforcement to fight this. We are working with law enforcement. We are funding certain operations. We have our own capabilities where we work around the United States and around the globe to do the rescues, to bring children, adults, people who are being abused by this horrific crime to safe places. And then we do a lot of that work internationally. We're, we're training <laughs> national police and doing the work that's necessary to safeguard and protect. Um, and then we have a whole army of people that have joined us, people who help fuel uh, what we do. There's givers. And then we have our own uh, aftercare. So we do have mm. um, our, ca- our capability, both in the United States and abroad, um, that is doing survivor care, that is helping with the restoration of these precious lives, both those who are trafficked on the street and those who are victims of the crime called um, online sexual exploitation materials or CSAM. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, that's, so, and that's what we're tackling with the peer phone, peer computer, because yeah. if we can, if, Let me if hit can that cut down quick. on the need. Yeah. Yeah. And so pornography drives a lot of what's going on, especially in the on- online space. And, and every, every click in the online space, because we know how the digital media works is a vote for more porn. So, you know, our challenge to men that I meet with, to our church, to individuals, people come up to us all the time and go, how can I help with anti-human trafficking? How can I help fight this evil? Well, we can all take that question really, really seriously and take it to heart because every one of us, every one of us cannot click on pornography. Don't even click on soft porn because it's all categorized by these digital environments as they want to go create more. This whole industry advances because people who are addicted to porn, people who are clicking on bad things, they want new stuff. They want a new child, a new type of crime, a new type of abuse. And so when we don't click on things, we are beginning to fight against this horrific crime set. Mm. And so the challenge is, and this is something that we, ha- I think we can and should do. Like I have a promise to my wife, and it's been for decades now, um, but you know, we've had these around for, you know, 15 years for sure. Yeah. I can, I can give her my phone at the end of any day, at the end of any day. And she mm-hmm. can look at anything in my phone or my computer and know that this has not done wrong. This has not done evil. I have not right. done evil through this device today. So if everybody would, if we just say, what do I, what can I do right now? All of us can make sure we don't pick, click on soft porn or hard porn. What's soft porn, right? Soft porn is that little thing that says, let me show you the hotties in the swimsuit, you know, that's soft porn. It leads mm-hmm. to a yes for, for harder porn in the digital environment, in the digital world. So if we can present clean phones to our families, to our children, yeah. to one another, to our accountability partners, we've begun to fight back against the evil. These small things make a big difference. Yeah. And by the way, porn is so addictive that it hurts us in our relationships, our normal relationships. It can be a deep um, um, betrayer liar to us about what's right, what's just, what's appropriate, what's normal. Mm-hmm. And what's we, good, and all, what's not what's good. good. What's good, and it also has this terrible addictive effect on mm. the brain. Um, and mm. it demands more and more, more egregious um, um, 
pornography, more violent, more hands-on. And we just want to protect our lives, our, our brains, our hearts, and our relationships by fighting back. And one yeah. of the practical tools all this can do is a pure phone, a pure phone, a pure phone, yeah. one yeah. day at a time, one hour at a time. I love that. I really love that. And and even just between parents and kids, that mm-hmm. can be difficult because, par- you know, kids will, you don't trust me. And, you know, Chris and I used to tell our kids, <laughs> bingo, you're right. I don't. Um, but yeah, just teaching our kids to be open to accountability like that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you a cell phone. But guess what? This is how it's going to work. We need to be accountable yeah. to one another. So that is really, uh, that's amazing. And that can help all of us who eventually have to get into that digital world at some point. Yeah, for sure. Steve Biondo, president of Tim Tebow Foundation. I know uh, we're, our time is up uh, with what you've committed to us, um, but you got to come back, man. You got to yeah. make this a regular stop, quarterly at least, I mean, and, and give us updates on what's going yeah. on. We barely got to get into it. Uh, um, you know, given your final thoughts that you want to leave with our yeah. audience today, what at your first appearance, we get 30 minutes with mm-hmm. you. What, what, what do you want to end with? Because I want to bring you back, and we got to keep doing this pure phone conversation with the men of America Amen. for sure. Amen. Amen. I think what I would leave is that our, our relationship with Jesus Christ is in these small things that when we can be Christ exalting, when we are alone, when we are driving by ourselves, when we are alone in our technology, when we can be Christ exalting there, we begin to win the battle of putting him on display in all the other public areas of our life. So let's just do the work intentionally, Mm -hmm. humbly, we surrender our own selfish desires to be Christ exalting in the quiet places when nobody's looking, when nobody's watching, but we are in our relationship with our with our Savior, and that's the intimacy that we desire so much. So be pure, be righteous, be Christ exalting in the small places. That's where it starts. Thank you so much, Steve, for being a guest, for spending some time with us. Uh, you know we're praying for you, and this whole bringing the human trafficking to light is really a really good work, so keep on keeping on. Here he is. Uh, his name is Brian Dawson, and we're going to tell you who he is in just a second. But Brian, welcome to No Apology with Emily and Chris. Emily's brand new show, which I get to be a small part of, and now you get to be a small part of. I'm honored, and apparently I'm more important than the Bible, the way that you kind of teed that up <laughs> a little bit. I, I, the, the, you know, the, there's a lot of uh, hype. Uh, coming into this interview with with the start off like that, so I yeah. see what wow. I can. Well, I love the on air thing behind you. You're in your own podcast studio. Brian is the CEO. Yeah, Brian is the CEO of a of a brand new. Well, not brand new. It's about two years old. Uh, conservative media outlet called 1819 News, and 1819 News uh, is an Alabama based news organization. But 1819 is the year Alabama was founded. Now, Brian, you're our former affiliate rep. The last time the Chris and Emily show was syndicated nationally, you were our affiliate rep. And then together from that moment to now, which has been about seven years, you've grown into a handful of different opportunities. And I kind of been, you know, I was kind of in the sidecar with you for a chunk of it. And then you've just, yeah, and then you've just grown now to this this CEO and we are so proud of you. Uh, But I'm going to hit you with a resume. Emily, you know what that resume is. Should I tell the people? I think I think you should not. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Cuz I think Probably you should the... let Brian do the big reveal. You want to do the big reveal, yeah. Brian? The felony reveal. Yeah, the felony <laughs> reveal. There we the go. Felony reveal. There it is. It's like gender reveal but with uh, with crimes. Brian was facing 300 and some years of uh, prison time and actually got sentenced to 16 years. And then God intervened in a way that's hard to explain. 
And Brian, we just want you not only to share your story, but after we you know talk about your story some, I want to spin this into why we want to do a Bible apologetics type show that also has culture ramifications, also has a lot of fun. It's almost like a variety show. We're going to talk about Christian movies. We're going to talk about Christian music, but it's always going to come from an authentic biblical perspective. How important is that authentic biblical perspective to someone like you who's been, who watched Jesus basically tear up your prison sentence and give you a brand new lease on life? It's very biblical what happened to you in reality in the flesh, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, and you know how I feel about Christian media uh, as as one of my best good friends over the last seven years. And I think what the word that you said is what's lacking in much of it is that word authentic, mm. mm-hmm. right? And so um, I, I, I think that authentic piece is, and I think you come out and say, hey, I, I have six felonies, God saved me in prison. Well, all of a sudden you're jumping into a level of authenticity um, that, that most don't have, but also um, just, I don't know, um, really where I'm going with that other than... Um, you know, the word authentic, I think matters. And so you said, you know, how does, how does, how much does, um, Bible culture, apologetics, all of those things. I think if you have authenticity in all of it and in the culture that we're living in and in a world where people are getting canceled at a podcast earlier today, mm-hmm. uh, with a guy that, uh, was a professor at the university of Alabama and, um, they got rid of their, uh, graduate requirement testing exam. Um, because it was causing some people to not look as good that maybe had different color skin than white people. Mm. And so they got rid of those and he's like, Hey, I don't know if that's a good idea. And so they fired him. And so that, that's the world that we're living in. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're seeing all the stuff with all the, you know, gender dysphoria and all the other stuff. And so, um, if Christians don't step up to the plate and start being authentic, I think, uh, we're, we're in serious trouble. And, um, one of the things I've always appreciated about you, both of you guys, uh, is that, that uh, that you do, you guys do that. You've you've uh, you've stepped your toe into saying some tough things that have gotten you into a little bit of trouble on the radio before, and that makes no. my favorite thing about you guys. Yes, no, not us. <laughs> so, we've we've, uh, we've lived controversy free for the last twenty years, Brian. <laughs> I was going to say maybe the last twenty minutes. But. Yeah, maybe the last twenty minutes. Yeah. So for sure. Um. But yeah. Um, but as far as my story goes, um, happy to share it. I'll try and keep it down. Uh, I mean, I can do a three-hour version or a, or a twenty-minute version. We're good my, with uh, three-hour. My, my favorite version is the hour and fifteen-minute version, which you've taken down yeah. to twenty minutes. But needless to say, it's, you can't tell on camera. But Brian, you're kind of a big dude, and the the one that caught my attention when we first met was I learned that that Dog the Bounty Hunter. Uh, turned down the opportunity to go to Colorado Springs and try to bring bring in Brian Dawson. He said he didn't want to mess with you. And you beat a man yeah. to, a, to an inch of his life. I mean, you had all this back backstory. Tell us when when it started in the 20-minute version. It's hard to go all the way back to a child, but, man, you were living through it, and God changed your life, and that's what's so am- amazing to me. Where do you want to start on this journey, Brian? Yeah, I'll start... Um, I'll start in administrative segregation, solitary confinement, and I'll clarify okay. too. And so dog, the bounty hunter was already in Colorado Springs. And so he, I was where he was and, um, supposedly I was armed and dangerous and my you know threat level was such that, uh, he, who is also a felon who can't carry firearms, he has a paintball gun that uses, uh, pepper spray bubbles that come out of the paintball gun. So anyway, I always want to clarify why he couldn't come after me. It makes me sound way too cool when like John the Bounty Hunter didn't want to come after you. But it's true. But it's it is true. true. Um, it's it true. It is true. It is true. So 
Um, so yeah, I was, when I was 23 years old, I was sitting in the El Paso County Criminal Justice Center, which is the county jail in Colorado Springs, Colorado. I was facing 384 years in prison for attempted murder, aggravated robbery, and extortion. Um, and so here I am, you know, how does white suburban Brian, uh, you know, go from white suburban to six-time felon facing 384 years in prison where Dog the Bounty Hunter doesn't want to go after you? And so, you know... I'll back up to childhood and kind of do the Forrest Gump where we come from childhood to administrative segregation and then forward. Yeah, because um, in the end, we, we end with you being CEO of, a, of an up and coming powerful media uh, uh, opportunity. That's let's that's just still call it doing... an empire. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, let, let's so, hear about the backstory of the of the of the new Glenn Beck, Brian Dawson. Yes. There yes. You go. There All right, hit it. The not Mormon Glenn Beck. <laughs> um, <laughs> All right. So, yeah. So I was born in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Uh, you know, you guys, it's it's an interesting another tie in that we have uh, is you guys and the Robertsons and my family and the Robertsons. My dad grew up in West Monroe, Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only people more poor than the Dawson's in West Monroe, Louisiana was the Robertsons. Right. And my right. dad grew up with Phil Robertson. He is a West Monroe Louisiana swamp redneck. That's my dad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my mom was the daughter of a state senator and they had no business being together. My dad got my mom pregnant. So they had me. And I always say that's my pedigree is the Louisiana redneck mixed with the state senator. And you put those two things together and you get uh, this. And so that <laughs> was this. Yeah, I like that. That's, that was how I came into the world. And my parents got divorced when I was two. Courts put me with my uh, with my mom, which they tend to do just uh, knee jerk reaction. Uh, and it was a very poor choice to put me with my mom. Uh, this go round, um, and you know, every circumstance and every situation is different, but, but if they would have been doing their job, I don't think they would have done that. Mm. Um, and my mom was, um, had a lot of issues and, and, um, you know, she, she did the best she could. Uh, but at the end of the day, it was not really a healthy environment for my brother and I to be in. And so, um, from basically zero to 10, I was living with my mom. Um, she was an alcoholic. I had multiple stepdads. I used to watch her get, you know, abused by her husbands. Uh, it just wasn't good. And, um, you know, that affected me. And I always say kind of zero to 10 or what they call formative years in childhood. And a lot of the things that children need to, to, to form well, uh, I was lacking. And so I had a lot of uh, issues, not to get all Freudian, but, you know, I had issues from that time period. And so when I was 10, I ended up moving in with my dad. There was a lot more structure there. Uh, my dad was very much the get up at 430, go to work, put a roof over your head, put food on the table. We ate dinner as a family, had structure. It was good, but he, even to this day, is not a believer. And so, um, you know, there was, there was still some things that were missing, but it was good. And, and, I'm, and I'm very grateful for that time that I had with my dad mm-hmm. uh, that showed me kind of what normal life looked like and everything. But I still had those issues from zero to 10 with my mom. I was never comfortable in my own skin. But when I began to drink, when I was 14 years old, I started to drink alcohol. And that feeling went away of not being comfortable in my own skin. And so I began to party all the time and I would drink to the point of blacking out. When I was 16, I got my driver's license and made a, made a fake ID. It was very uh, creative uh, type. And so made a fake ID. I was the life of the party, all those type of things. And so drinking turned into drugs. Drugs started with marijuana, then gotten into experimenting with other things. And I ended up getting in a big fight with my dad at the beginning of my senior year. Uh, he made me quit football uh, and go to rehab or quit football and go live with your mom in Colorado. And I was living in Wichita, Kansas at the time. Um, and worth noting, I think, uh, in this is, um, it kind of, and and it'll circle back around the issues that I had, the reason I drank is because I wasn't comfortable in my own skin. 
mm-hmm. and not being comfortable in my own skin always made me awkward with the opposite sex. And so, you know, there was this, uh, it's, it's, I think it's exemplified best with this girl in eighth grade. I, you know, I was madly in love with her. I asked her to eighth grade graduation dance. We went afterwards. I professed my undying loved her and told her I wanted her to be my girlfriend. I said, she gave me the Heisman and uh, put me in the friend zone. <laughs> And that was pretty much it. My relationship. By the way, that didn't look like a stiff arm. It looked like you were showing us your earbud case, just so you know, on camera. (laughs) There you go. But she was giving you the highs. There you go. There you go. There it is. is. All right. Eighth grade. uh, Keep going. Yeah. So, and then that ended up basically being where I stayed with all girls. And that, you know, didn't do wonders for my my self esteem either. And so, whatever. um, You'll see why that comes up here in a little bit. But anyway. yeah, so that was that was me, and so I, I moved to Colorado uh, the beginning of my senior year. My my brother was uh, driving a drug dealer around. Uh, it's like driving Miss Daisy, but it's driving the, the drug dealer, and he would drive him around, and they would do deliveries, and I would sit in the back seat, and I would watch this guy who was all the men wanted to be him, all the girls wanted to be with him, right? He had mm-hmm. tremendous respect. Yep. You know, the ladies liked him. He had stacks of money. I'm like good grief. Is there anything this man doesn't have? And so I wanted to be like him. And so I mean, and you're how old now? You're senior in high school, 17? Yeah, I was 17. Yep. I was 17, about to be 18 when that happened. And so I wanted to, I wanted to be him. And so I began uh, working for him and I started selling weed. Next, you know, I started doing cocaine, realized real quick, you can't do cocaine and selling weed. So I started selling cocaine. Turns out what makes me really good at, you know, being a a CEO that acquires capital for a media company made me really good at what I was doing then selling drugs. And, um, you know, within a few years I was pushing lots and lots of drugs for cartels in Colorado Springs. And, um, yeah. And so I got arrested multiple times in that stage of my life. And then towards the end, one of the times I got arrested, um, was I was running a motorcycle theft ring. We'd stolen a bunch of crotch crotch rocket style motorcycles that we had in storage units that we were trading to Mexican nationals that were coming across the border and they'd fill up covered trailers with these motorcycles we were stealing. They would take them across the border where they weren't stolen anymore and they would do whatever with them and they would trade me drugs for it. And so that thing got busted up and people got arrested and they went around pointing out all the storage units. And so, um, that uh that came to a screeching halt and I got arrested. But I I went to county jail and they give you a thing called a discovery that tells you all the evidence that the state has against you. So it lists all the people that told on you. And I'm like mm. I'm thinking I'm getting punked. I'm like they're really giving me this list. And well, it turns out they have to. And so I end up bonding out and going and finding these people that told on me uh, and beating them up. And one of them uh, I beat nearly within an inch of his life. And that is where the attempted murder, aggravated robbery, and extortion uh, case came from. So, mm-hmm. um, but I, I think it's worth kind of telling, you know, so what, what happened, I found out this guy told on me, went, knocked on his door, he opened the door, walked into his house. Um, and I said, you know, why'd you tell me? I didn't tell on you. I didn't tell on you. And so I actually had a taser and began to tase him, started to beat him, you know, beat him up. And he continued to say, you know, he didn't tell on me. A guy I was with actually hit him in the head with a blackjack and blood went everywhere. We thought he was dead. Um, and that was, that was it. And, uh, mm-hmm. left there, told his brother who was there, um, that he needed to pay me the money that he was owed. Otherwise I was going to be back and do the same thing to him. And we stole a bunch of stuff out of the house when we left. Mm-hmm. And there's where you get your attempted murder, aggravated robbery, uh, and extortion charges. And so they put me in County jail. I'm thinking I'm going to do the rest of my life in prison. So I've got to be this tough guy. I've got to be this, you know, 
bad dude. And so I start clicking up with some of the gangs and stuff in there. I didn't join any gangs, but I was, I was kind of a hang around and, um, I started to get into fights and they'd say, Hey, you need to go take mm-hmm. care of this and you need to go take care of that. And I would go beat this person up, go beat that person up. Ooh. Well, finally I ended up racking up two more assault cases while I was in County jail and they just had enough with me. And so they put me into administrative segregation. And so that is getting to the, uh, Forrest Gump on a bench part of the solitary confinement. But before God saved me, when I was in solitary confinement, which is you're in an eight and a half foot by 12 foot cinder block cell by yourself for 23 hours a day, you get an hour out to go um, make a phone call, take a shower, and then you're back in your cell. Mm. And before God saved me, I say that God thumped me uh, when I was in an ad seg. And so in that thumping, he showed me that this was my fault. And, you know, to us normal, go deep, go deep on that people. for a second. How did he show yeah. you that it was your fault? Because, you know, I understand your condition, but God had to do something. What is, define the thump for the audience today. So what it ultimately, what, it, what I began to connect in my head was this was my fault. And to us healthy, normal, responsible people, we understand that we're responsible for our choices, our thoughts, our feelings, our behavior, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't understand that. I, I believed it was my mom's fault I was in there. It was my dad's fault I was in there. It was the cop's fault. It was the system's fault. It was the district attorney's fault. It was the judge's fault. It was the system's fault. I was a victim. <laughs> Why couldn't anyone see it, right? <laughs> and that was, I really believed that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the the thump was your bad choices created these bad circumstances. You can make good choices that will create good circumstances. And when that click happened in my head, everything began to change. And again, how much can things change when you're in a cell by yourself? Well, it was enough for my grandma to take notice. And my my family had completely cut me off up to this point without except like a once a month phone call. And my grandma really sensed that something had changed in my life. And so we mm. began to talk and she kind of rallied my family around and I really began to get my family back in my corner and they started to notice the changes. And then as I was in ad seg, the, the district attorney came back to me. So if you remember, I was facing 384 years if I wanted to trial. Mm-hmm. They came back and offered me 32 years with a crime of violence uh, sentence enhancer to plea. So I could either go to trial and get 384 and I was going to get 384 because I was very, I was extra guilty. Yeah. Um, yeah, you were guilty, and, and there's yeah, very, and so, um, so the the plea bargain, I could plea out, and they would give me 32 years, and so, by the grace of God, I was able to get into a mediation hearing, and I negotiated, and so I was able to negotiate that 32 year uh, with a crime of violence down to a 16 year nonviolent crime, and that is what I ended up getting sentenced to was a 16 year um, sentence to the Colorado Department of Corrections, and. Um, that was, you know, and I didn't even get to the point where I was on the run. Um, so I'm trying to do the succinct version. The short I know version. you got it. We got to do the <laughs> succinct version. You know, there, there's a lot more to the story. But when you yeah. were on the run before you even got arrested, because I think it's kind of cool. Because uh, look, your story, Brian, is a story that every Christian goes through spiritually. You went through it physically, where we are guilty. Yeah. We, we, we need salvation. We need a Savior. We can't save ourselves. We, we, it doesn't matter how we got ourselves into the situation, but here we are. But the story, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you tell the story, but, but I'm just going to let everybody know. It, it ends with Brian hanging out a window by his fingertips. Tell that yeah. story, bro. So, so we'll back up to before I got arrested. You know, well, so I got arrested for, uh, you know, beating the guy nearly to death. I go to county jail. They charge me with attempted murder, aggravated robbery, and extortion. I bond out again, and the plan was to go on the run. And so me and my friend were going to go to California, and we were going to, you know, 
go down into Mexico. That was the plan. Why not Canada? For whatever reason, Mexico is more attractive to, to yeah. criminals. Well, I don't know what the deal is there. Well, that was where your motorcycles were. <laughs> That's right. That is correct. I had, to, I had wheels and I had to go get them. So, um, but that ended up not working out. And while I was still hanging around Colorado Springs, I missed my court date. And so now all the fugitive task force crime reduction unit bounty hunters were all after me. And thus mm-hmm. the, the dog, the bounty hunter scenario. Right. Um, and so they surround a couple places that I was at and I got away, I'd get away. And so, or, you know, I ended up hiding and they would get into the house and they wouldn't find me. I mean, just crazy. That happened on two separate occasions. And so I ended up becoming one of the most wanted criminals in Colorado Springs, if not the most wanted criminal in Colorado Springs. Um, and they finally get me at this apartment complex. I'm in a third story apartment. I call it my safe house, but that's where I was before we were going to go to California down in Mexico. I'm on the third story. And, um, this is June 19th, 2007. I wake up at like three in the afternoon. I'm not a healthy, responsible individual. I woke up at three in the afternoon. Um, and I smoked some weed and I was watching the Chappelle show cooking bratwurst. I know it's weird that the details, but that's what, it, that's what I was doing. Yeah. Those details and stick with you. They do. Yeah. When in yeah, any trauma situation, it just pops in yes. your memory every time. And I love the picture right. painting. I love that. <laughs> yes. so. Yep. Bratwurst, Chappelle, Chappelle weed, Brian, three in the yeah. afternoon. <laughs> that's right. There it is. And so I go and look out the window and I see the front end of a cop car. And so I'm like, okay, the gig is up. You know, they're here. And I started hearing, boom, 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 Colorado Springs police open up and they kick in the door, but it wasn't my door. So they were like four or five apartments down the hallway kicking in doors because they didn't know which one I was in. And so I had a recliner in there and the recliner was wider than the window. And the guy that I was supposed to go to California and Mexico with, a guy named Spider, he showed me how to tie a nylon rope to the bottom of this recliner. And every 18 inches, there was a double knot so I could climb down. And so if this situation happens, see, I was prepared. I was like a, a six-time okay. felon Boy Scout. Essentially. Yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah. I didn't have a Swiss Army knife. I had a meth pipe. That was about it. Yeah. But, so I, um, I kicked the screen out of the window. I wrapped the rope around my hand and jumped from the third story. And then I'm hanging uh, from the third story. And what I didn't know is there was a surveillance van in that parking lot behind the apartment building. And 50 or 60 cops come swarming from around each side of the building with guns drawn. And that was it. And they said, get on the ground, get on the ground, except they were saying some choice words that I wouldn't say on this year Christian media podcast. Thank you. To me, uh, about getting, <laughs> yes, about getting, getting on the ground. And so I ended up, you know, grabbing the rope, unwrapping my hand and dropping three stories yeah. and hit the ground. And uh, they put their knee in my back and put the cuffs on me. And that was it. That was June 19th, 2007. Well, wow. let's let's and get so, ahead a little bit. You are convicted. You now go to prison. You're facing 16 years, but you did not serve even close to that. And there's some miracles nope. that happen, including going back to your eighth grade girlfriend. So let's pick it up from there. Yeah. Um, so I end up going to Walsenburg, Colorado is the first prison I go to. And the first person I meet there, a guy comes up to me. He's a big, big guy, even bigger than me. And he's got a Semper Fi tattoo on his arm. And he says, hi, my name is Charles Frederick, and I'm a Christian. This is a faith mm. pod. I said, what is a faith pod? And he says, well, we do discipleship and worship in the morning and stuff. And I'm like, I don't even know what these words mean. And I said, look, man, you know, we can be friends. You obviously look like you know your way around the joint, but, you know, you can leave the Jesus stuff at the door. And so he just shakes his head and he says, okay. And he just becomes my friend. And over, you know, the course of the next year, he begins just plant gospel seeds in the conversations as opportunity allowed. Uh, he didn't browbeat me uh, and he provided for me. He, you know, you get in there and you basically, you've got your, you know, a couple pairs of underwear, your green suit, a cup and a spoon. That's it. 
And so he gave me soups, he gave me, you know, sweats, he gave me coffee, things like that. And then just became my friend and, and again, you know, dropped gospel seeds as, as time would allow. He ended up getting shipped to another prison. I bounced around and ended up getting um, to going to a couple other prisons. And then we both ended up at Sterling Correctional Facility together. And I walk out on the yard and boom, there's Charles picked up right where we left off with him planting gospel seeds. Mm-hmm. And he gets me into some faith-based programs, uh, one of which was... Um, that is ultimately where I got saved was the truth project um, with Dr. Del Tackett, which is yep. just absolutely incredible. If you That's haven't awesome. uh, been, We're, we are nine Dr. weeks, we are nine episodes through in, in my uh, church here in Iowa with a small group, just kind of going through it. And um, wow. yeah, there's somebody in the truth project that you actually partied with that, <laughs> that you know, pretty yeah, well. No, I used to do drugs with flash. And so it's a whole deal. If you've, yeah. Seen the Truth Project, and you've been through it. Flash is a guy that they interview, and what's interesting is they interview people all over the world in the Truth Project, and then all of a sudden, boom, they come to this guy that used to buy drugs from me, and I'm like, whoa! Yeah. So that actually kind of played a part in it. So I'm in the Truth Project. I see Flash in there, and one of the guys like he tells his story at the end. I'm like, well, I'm going to stick around for that. Well, I'm in there, and I'm arguing with these guys though because you know there there's some mega truth claims that are coming from Dr. Dell Tackett and these guys at my table, and I'm like, look, man you know, you guys are stupid if you believe this, right? And, <laughs> yeah. and, and I, I mean, I, I said that, and I almost got in a fight with these guys, and just because they were Christians didn't mean they weren't convicts, you know what I mean? And I'm going to tell right. them they're stupid if they believe this. And the deal was, I believed in God, but I didn't I didn't know how to, I, I didn't understand Jesus. I could believe that this Jewish guy got nailed to a piece of wood 2,000 years ago, right? I could believe mm-hmm. that and created a cult following, but I couldn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God, that he was born of a virgin, that he lived a perfect life and didn't do anything wrong, that he died in his death, did something for me, and he rose from the dead. Those are my issues with the Christian faith, and turns out they're pretty paramount. <laughs> it. Well, but, at least you picked the big ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Um, almost, almost like you were calling that. those uh, other convicts Bible idiots, but um, boom, yeah. right? But um, <laughs> so, um. So I'm going back to my cell after that, that night, or, you know, and we're in the education building, we're walking over back to the units where we live. And Charles just says, look, Brian, why don't you give him a chance? And for whatever reason, again, I understand God's sovereignty. So I know the reason. Um, that was it. I've been told that a million times. Why don't you give him a chance? Why don't you give him a chance? And I went back to my cell and prayed that night. Again, I believed mm-hmm. in God. I prayed. I, I was agnostic. I just didn't understand the Jesus piece. Yeah. So I prayed to God and said, look, God, if I need to believe that Jesus was your son, that he was born of a virgin, that, you know, that I went through that, all those things. I said, you're going to have to show me because I'm having serious issues with it. And so I ended up going to sleep that night and having this horrible nightmare. I've fallen off a cliff in my sleep and I wake up with a, in cold sweats like I'm falling and I look at my clock and in my cell, the clock says 316. It was the only thing I could see in my cell was the clock. And the yeah, only Bible verse awesome. I've ever known my entire life is John 316, which was the wow. answer to my question. And wow. so I end up, that was Sunday morning at 3.16 in the morning. I end up getting up, going to Christian services is what they call church there. You got to be politically correct. Um, so we went to Christian services. Chaplain Davis preached. I don't remember a word that, you know, that he preached, but at the end he did an invitation. And the guy I was with, I looked over, I said, Ramon, uh, what is an invitation? And, you know, he didn't say, well, that's where you invite Jesus in your heart, brother. He said, Look, man, if you've got something hindering your relationship with God, you can go down there and pray with that man about it. And he just mm-hmm. stepped out of the way because he knew God was moving. And so I go down to the front. Um, the front, I, I, Chaplain Davis grabs my hand, puts his other hand on my shoulder and says, look, you know, Mr. Dawson, how can I pray for you? I said, look, Chap, I'm not here to make any decisions. 
I would just ask you to pray that God would soften my heart so the truth can come in because I can tell he's working on me and I'm fighting with everything I have. <laughs> and so he prays for me and we finish praying and I look up in his face. And he's just got tears pouring down his face. And, you know, here he is this, you know, he's very much a man's man, prison chaplain, you know, kind of guy. And he's in front of 130 inmates just weeping. And I knew that God had moved and done something. I count that the moment, the day that I got saved. Mm. And so um, I leave there. Charles gives me uh, a Bible and he says, start reading the story of Joseph and don't put it down. And so I just start start devouring the word and just feasting on the word day in and day out, reading, reading, reading. So I'm you know making my way all the way through the Bible. And that goes on for about nine months. And in that nine months, I'm involved in every faith-based, 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 faith-based program mm-hmm. in the prison. Um, and, you know, I'm in choir. I mean, I mean, everything. And I can't sing worth a lick. I just love the fellowship. Can't get enough, <laughs> yeah. right? Just, yeah. just getting Don't after it. Yeah. And uh, so um, then about nine months in, you know, I've, all my friends have pen pals. And I'm like, man, God, I wish I had a pen pal. And so. I call my mom. She's running a Facebook page for me and we're, you know, she reaches out to a bunch of different girls from my past. Nothing, nothing, nothing. I can't take any more rejection. And, uh, I said, look, God, if you want me to have a pen pal, you're going to do it. So I just let it be. And, um, I go about my business for two or three weeks and I call my mom just to check in. And she said, Hey Brian, do you know this girl named Christina Ewan? And I said, yes, ma'am, Christina Ewan. That was a girl I was head over heels in love with all throughout middle school and high school that I would have sawed off my left arm to be with. If you, put out all my yearbooks from kindergarten to senior year. And you said you could pick one girl, you know, to be with, who would it be? It would have went directly to Christina, you know, immediately. Um, why? And she said, well, she wants to write you. And I'm like, you should, she knows I'm in prison. Yeah. No, she knows you're in prison. Well, that's interesting. Did you get her address? Yeah. So I ended up writing the first letter and I basically just wrote and said, look, you know, I didn't get drunk and run somebody's dog over. I, be- I belong here. And, um, I, um, she wrote me back and she had just gotten saved about six months before that and had gone through a divorce. She had got married, had a son and gotten divorced. And, um, you know, she, you know, so we were very, both very new in our faith and, and both very, you know, that new stage of, you know, new, newly being saved where you just can't, can't stop talking about it, can't stop reading. And, and, and actually, hopefully that never goes away, but we were, you know, very much into that. And we began to just write each other about what God was, you know, doing with us what the pastors was preaching on. And then we started reading books together. She would send a book and we'd read books together and really just fell in love through written letter. And I had to write her a letter and and say, look, I can't help but feel like there's a spark here that wasn't there when we were in middle school and high school. And I snail mailed it out to her and I'm waiting for the response, which is, you know, in this text message email world we live in, you know, that snail mail waiting on the girl that's rejected you your whole life to reject you again. Uh, and I, and like I'm, I'm acutely aware that my stock cannot get any lower at this point. Right. <laughs> yeah. I bet, so, I bet after a week it was just torture every hour. Yeah, yeah, it was. And so I get the letter and I open it up and I'm just kind of do the thing where you close your eyes and open with one and look at it. And she says, Brian, I feel the exact same way. I know that God wants me to be with you. Whether you get out in 10 days or 10 years, I'm going to be here waiting. And wow. I was just floored. Wow. And so I ended up putting in for a halfway house. Uh, so the way it works in Colorado, I had a 16 year prison sentence at eight years. You're eligible for parole. They do your pre-sentence confinement time. So the time I did in County jail comes off of that. Uh, and then you get earned time on top of that. And then 19 months before that you're eligible for a halfway house. So at five years and two months, I was eligible to go to a halfway house put in for Pier 1, which is the most intense behavior modification program of its kind in the country. 
went there. That's how I got out early. Like if I was just going to try and get out, they wouldn't let me out. But they're like, you want to go there? <laughs> go for it. Right? <laughs> so they, um, they sent me there and, um, you know, there's so much I could, I could do two hours just on pier one alone, but right. I ended up going through the program, graduating with honors, um, getting married in the program. You know, as soon as I was, I was able to go out on a visit, Christina came and saw me. I proposed her on the front, front porch steps of a drug rehab because I'm the most romantic man in the world. <laughs> Timing and, is uh, everything, right? It really <laughs> is. And, and we got married the next day in my grandma's living room. Wow. And so, yeah. And then and you guys decided was, to not have kids, right? <laughs> yeah. We're, we're really anti-kids. So, um, no, we were blessed. I was blessed when we had we got married. She already had a son, and he is a wonderful young man. Um, Chris has had the privilege of meeting him. He knows yeah, um, and he's, yeah, just, Brent, he's, he's amazing. He's probably going to be an athletic superstar. The kid's amazing. Yeah, he, and um, not only athletic but also smart, respectful. I, I yeah. think he brings honor to our home. So when you look nice. at the scriptures and it talks even, about his son, even when he was like eleven, he, how old is he now? He's thirteen. Thirteen. Even when he was like nine, ten, and even going into eleven, he we would be talking, and you'd be like, you were just blown away by the level of depth of questions he would ask when you guys would be driving around to baseball games or football games. And, you know, again, and and you guys decided not to have any other kids other than Brennan, right? (laughs) Just, just six more so far. Just six more so far. That's right. 36. Is that what you said? (laughs) So like, it's a wonderful uh, life. Do you ever feel like uh, that lead character and it's a wonderful life when everything's just going bad? It's like, why do we have all these kids? Every Thanksgiving (laughs) we have Turkey and we hear about Brian New new child coming, yes, you know, and that's uh, true. That's true. Yeah, you know, you, you you when we when we first met and start hanging out, um, is Grace your third? Grace is Grace is our first that we had together. First, okay, and then and then Reagan. Yep. And then uh, who was the baby when we first met? The third one, I think Abigail. <laughs> Abigail, that's right, that's right. And then Charles was and born. So it's right? interesting. Yeah, and and then Charles is named after Charles, right? The one that led me to the Lord in prison, mm-hmm. planting the gospel seeds in my life. Yep. And then Emily, and then Rebecca. But what's interesting, and Charles is the one that pointed this out when he came out here to visit. He he noticed we were doing it. We didn't even do it intentionally. So you have Brennan, but then the of uh, the girls. It started with Gracie, so Grace, Reagan, Abigail, Charles, Emily. It spells Grace if you go oh, down. Nice. Wow. And so when we were done with grace, everyone's like, wow, you spell grace. Are you guys done? I said, no, I think we're going to spell propitiation. Next. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brian Dawson's our special guest. He's the CEO of 1819 News, which is an Alabama-based conservative media platform. Uh, and we have been uh, praying for that and cheering that on, even been a part of it uh, for a while in, in certain uh, ways. And so we, we're always excited about your success. Uh, Brian, you have now seven children, and you're you're not you're. I would love for you to explain your position because hearing it from me saying, "Hey, I got a friend who who feels this way and is living this way," versus you saying it is that you guys really want God to close the womb, not you, and you believe that children are such a blessing from God that you won't stop until God stops you. I guess yeah. isn't it? I know you can you tell yeah. me the the actual way you phrase that. Yeah, no, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head and it was even a, a touch more eloquent than even I could put. But um, <laughs> I think it's ultimately, you know, Psalm 127, Psalm 128, you know, children are, are a heritage, you know, they're a gift from the Lord, they're heritage. Um, you know, blessed is the man whose quiver is full. It says there are the arrows in the, the hands of a mighty warrior. 
blessed is the man whose quiver is full. And so I, we take that very literally. Um, if you're at war and we are in this culture that we're in, uh, we're in a culture of death that hates children. Um, and um, I believe that we, we're at war. And so I want more arrows, not less in my quiver. And you yeah. know, we have friends who can't have children. We have friends mm-hmm. who, who, who their womb is not open. And, uh, you know, if, if God closes the womb or if, if Christina gets into some type of a pregnancy, that's kind of like, eh. but up to this point, it's been smooth sailing. Every baby's right. been happy and healthy. Praise the Lord. Uh, every delivery has been very, very easy. Praise yeah. the Lord. So we, we've had no scares or anything like that. So, you know, we really, um, really just believe that they're a blessing and, you know, we, we love, we homeschool, um, as, as you guys did. And we just think that that's a huge blessing uh, yeah. to be able to watch them and train them and, and, and see them, um, just, you know, grow in their love of the Lord. And, and so, yeah, that's, yeah. And it's a great witness to other people around you as well. Um, one of my favorite, it, it's just a moment in time, you know, every once in a while people will just have this moment in time that they'll just never forget. And nothing in particular really happens. It's just a moment, you know? Um, but one of those moments for me was you had come to the church that Chris was pastoring when we were in Alabama and you were mm-hmm. sharing your testimony and so on. And, um, I look over at Christina and she's sitting there and I don't know how many kids you had at the time or with you at the, on that day. He, like they had four. four they, they, no, they had four. They had four Brennan and then they had the three girls. Okay. And, so she and, has. And Abigail was a baby at the time. Yeah, yeah. She has the baby that she's like literally holding, holding right, right up next to her in front. Then she's got another child like laying over her lap portion. And then she's got another child that's like tucked under her arm, like under her wing, you know. And then she's got an, her legs are crossed and she's got another child, <laughs> you know, uh, how you like give them that pony ride on, on your foot. It, one of them is sitting on her yep. foot. And she just like bounces up and down. She's just, she's literally a pile of children with just like this head that's sticking out on top. And I I remember looking at it and just, it was a blessing in just seeing that. And I love that verse. That's a verse that I like to share with people who do have, um, you know, another child or even a grandchild, that these children are referred to as in the Bible a quiver mm-hmm. you know, or an arrow in your quiver. I mean, everyone knows if you're a hunter or you're a warrior, the more arrows you got, the better off you are. And our society has really moved away from that. So I'm really thankful that you're not just out there speaking and telling people, but you're actually living the fact. You're investing Amen. in the fact that ch- there, there's value in having all those children. So here's my question for you. Um, you know, it's so It's taking you kind of a while to get I there. I don't care. I had to tell that story. <laughs> right, that's, fine. Cool. that's fine. But I, I I'm, I'm sitting here on pins and needles. What's the question? What's the question? What's the question? <laughs> See, now you interrupted me. All right. Totally forgot here's the question. question. Everybody, <laughs> so, Emily Danielson, uh, go. The question is, when you do encounter people who, you know, they might say something or you know they have a view where it's like, you know, don't have any more kids than what you can take care of or, you know, there's an option if you don't want to have kids. Um, how do you talk to people in that? Because that's part of our culture right now. We live in a culture where children are a problem. They're kind of in the way they make your life lesser. How do you respond to people or how do you witness to people in that 
realm when it comes to the value of children in their life? Yeah, that's a fabulous question. And so when we were at the four, like between three, four, five stage, people thought that they could influence us to not have more. And so there yeah. was a lot more of that. And like, once you hit six, people have like, they throw in the town. They're like, we're not going to stop them. Right. But, you know, I think the biggest thing that we can do is to be, um, to be faithful and to show, because again, it's, it's, it's those things that, that, that God says he makes those things plain to see. Like in Romans one, he says, you know, God created things a certain way. And then when you witness something that God created, whether it's, you know, the, the redwoods in California or the mountains and the Rockies or whatever, and mm-hmm. you can just see his revealed creation and know that he exists. I believe the Christian family with a father who loves the Lord and submits himself to Christ as King. Mm-hmm. And he's ruling over his household with steadfast love and faithful as Jesus rules over all. He rules over his household with a beautiful wife who leans into her godly feminine role mm-hmm. and loves what God has made her as a mother who who takes care of the children and manages the household and the affairs of the household like Proverbs 31 wife. And you put this picture on display for everyone. They yeah. can say whatever they want, but they know in their heart that, that that's a glory and that there's you it's you can't argue with that right you yeah. can't deny right. you can't deny the evidence that's right in front of you you know it's kind of like the the robertsons they talk about the fact that uh they believe that their prayer at the end of the show over dinner over breaking bread together as a family was some psychologist told willie who told uh, al who told me or something like that 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 yeah. subconsciously attracted everybody to the show because we all want that kind of family. It's almost like a human picture of the great feast in Jerusalem. We're all going to be a part of as brothers and sisters and as actual family under Jesus Christ. And a lot of us don't have families like that. We, you know, we, we wish we did. And so what you're saying is people look at you guys and they see you guys and they say, uh, they can say whatever they want, but they know in their heart that that's a picture of beauty is what you're saying. Yeah. Absolutely. And and again, even as imperfect as we are and as flawed as we are, they can see the faithfulness and the attempt at obedience and, and what God does with those those imperfect attempts at faithfulness, right? With yeah. the glory right. that he can create through it. Yeah. I think another, another example, I've got a friend, Curtis Bowers, who's made uh, the Agenda movies and stuff. Really great guy. I think he's got like 10 or 11 kids. And he's in prison ministry and they go in and they sing. They make albums and stuff together and they go and they'll be in ADSEG where I used to be, and they'll just start singing as a family, and you can start to hear the inmates weeping because they're mm. looking out and they see this family, this Christian family, they're singing, praising Jesus together, and they, they just know, right? It's undeniable. Right. Yeah. Yep. And the great thing is, is what a witness as far as the difference one person can make. I mean, looking at your life growing up, there was, you know, dysfunction, things were broken, things were not, they were outside of what God's plan is for the family. But one person in an extremely unlikely situation, God can reach down and touch and turn things so completely around and on their head that within that same person, the next generation is operating completely different within the uh, boundaries of what God has designed and in the blessings that come from living in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And no, it is. Thought, I mean, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Had Charles not, you know, been there to minister to me, had, you know, 
all the different parts and pieces, but Charles obviously played a, a huge primary role in me coming to Christ. Mm-hmm. I actually had someone, one of the times I was telling my story and he stopped me, he goes, who did you have praying for you? Uh-huh. Knowing that, you know, these people who weren't necessarily in the picture, they're mm-hmm. over on the side praying. And the one person I had in my family that was like fervently praying and they say, you know, the prayer of a righteous man or woman availeth much. Right. Mm-hmm. And so um, my grandma, Mamu, Betty Dawson, uh, was the one who was praying for me fervently for, you know, a decade. And interestingly enough, Chris is the one who delivered this message to me because he was going to see Phil Robertson and 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 go eat at their house. Mm-hmm. I said, tell him, you know, Betty Dawson's grandson. Yeah. And, you know, Phil was like Betty Dawson. And he said, that's the most godly woman I've ever known. Mm-hmm. And so. The yeah, most I'm the one he told woman, that Phil to. Robertson. <laughs> yeah. I can testify. So that's most, what Phil said. Yeah. The most godly woman Phil Robertson's ever known is who was praying for me for 10 years. That's, that's awesome. my grandma. And that yeah. is encouragement for everybody listening, because I can't tell you how many people I know that have family members that don't believe who have maybe believed at one time and walked away and how discouraging that is and how hard that is for people who do know the Lord and they want their loved ones to know the love of God. And so just hearing your story that grandma praying and all these people praying that you don't even know prayers are effective. Don't give up. Keep praying because God loves us and he has the perfect ability to do whatever it takes. So thank you so much for that encouragement. Brian, are there any final thoughts you want to leave with us? And you could start with, you know, thanks for coming on the show and making my wife cry. (laughs) Appreciate that. (laughs) Here, I make... I make people cry. It's, it's, yeah, it's yeah you, you're making it's people cry all the time, bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I want to. You, you, it's time for final thoughts. But in the final thoughts, I'd really love for you to share a little bit about the media journey. I know we only have about five more minutes left, Max, because I know your schedule's tight. But w- the media journey. I mean, there, there's there. Your your story through media is amazing, and I've gotten to be a big part of it. Um, you know, the last seven years and. Uh, you know, here you are, you find yourself as the CEO of an upstart media company in Alabama, and that's not your only option. I mean, there's a lot of people that want Brian Dawson to be on their team, but yet this is what God has you doing. Tell us that in your final thoughts with us today, bud. Sure. Super short version. I got to Alabama and I didn't know the difference between a radio station and a radio network. I had no idea. Uh, and the guy that hired me at USA Radio Networks hired you at USA Radio Networks, right? Uh, yep. Doc. Mm-hmm. And so he, I, I was going to church with him. And he said, Hey man, I think you would do great. I don't really have the resources to train you. I'm going to give you a quick one-on-one in my living room about radio syndication, but here's the software that says, you know, the, who the decision makers are. Here's the the products that you offer those decision makers. You'll figure it out. Boom. And, and, and I did it. <laughs> my parents swim and I swam Yeah. and I helped, I helped them take their, you know, news, there's new, their radio news product that was offered to AM news talk stations. It was five minutes. It sounded like it was done on a Casio keyboard in the eighties. Cause it was <laughs> shorten it up uh, to a two minute to offer to FM music stations. And as you guys know, FM music stations have these things called human beings listening. Um, and so it turns out that's valuable when you're selling advertising. So it was yes. a huge thing um, growing their news product uh, to a completely different audience and, and marketed it. And they never would have thought to do that. So that was a big home run early in my career that, that garnered the attention of a gentleman by the name of Lee Habib, who was uh, the guy who created Laura Ingram's radio show. And he had moved on um, from Laura's show. He went on to become the vice president of Salem, uh, where he oversaw Dennis Prager, Bill Bennett, Hugh Hewitt, Michael Medved, Eric Metaxas, Larry Elder, all those guys. And he's still there to this day. 
but he started another project called American Private Radio and produced a show called Our American Stories. And uh, he, he said, I want you to do for Our American Stories what you did to the radio show. So I came in and I said, okay, I'm going to do that. But, you know, Lee, I don't want to grow radio shows for the rest of my life. I want to I want to get in the business. And so I said, you're going to teach me everything you know about the industry if I grow your show. And so he just laughed and shook my hand and said, okay, you grow my show. I teach you everything I know. And so over the next four and a half years, I sat at his feet learning everything I could about the media business. I grew his show. It was on 80 stations when I got there. I took it to 330 stations and did a deal with Premier and iHeart, which is as big as it gets in the radio world uh, is that. And, and when that was done, um, I actually left there and went and, and worked for a group in the interim, uh, helping Trump get reelected. That was the goal. And um, did this massive media-driven get-out-the-vote effort with Ben Shapiro, Dan Bongino, Sean Hannity, all these other guys, raised $6 million, did this massive get-out-the-vote Isn't there another effort. name you want to mention in there? Because, I mean, I, I, I remember Marcus. somebody besides him. <laughs> oh, there was, uh, was it the Chris fellow? Uh, yeah, yeah. I remember riding around Birmingham with you, meeting with millionaires, yeah. talking to people. Yeah. Oh, what about me? Yeah. Chris, for the- Chris, hey. Chris was the USA. Chris yeah. was there with Lee. And then Chris was there. With the, yeah. The, no, no, the no, 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 no. When, when you mentioned Bernie Marcus, Ben Shapiro, I mean, the Chris Danielson should be the logical next name. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. Actually, I think right in between the two. Oh yeah, Bernie, that, that might work too. No, no, I, yeah. I'm joking, but I was there. Yeah, it was it was amazing yeah. to watch watch this transition because part of that led to the meetings with the principals who wanted to launch 1819. Correct. Well, yeah, and that's it. And so I, I help with this this get out the vote strategy. My pastor started preaching on the importance of localism. Fathers fix your families. Families be in church. Churches make up community. Community city, city county, county state. This is the winning strategy. So I went home and prayed with my wife and said, how can I use my gifts, talents, abilities, resources, and relationships to make a difference for my people in place in Alabama? A week later, Caleb Crosby of the Alabama Policy Institute calls me. I had to talk to him like a year and says, hey, you know, he, he had some questions about some media efforts. And then on the call said, you know, uh, what we need more than this, this radio show that we're working on is a statewide state focused news and multimedia company for the state of Alabama. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'll do it. And so that was it. And that was the impetus. And I wrote out mission, vision, plan, budget, and we got to work and we created 1819 news to be a statewide state focused news and multimedia empire for the state of Alabama. Um, and that how's is, that uh, going by the way? Version it's, going, it's going well. Good, going good. Well. And the thing I love about 1819 news is it is like you said, you know, you talk, they cover all those stories that are relevant and what's relevant for Alabama is is really relevant for the rest of the nation as well. But um, it, it also doesn't shy away from that spiritual aspect. And they will cover stories that involve Christianity and what God is doing. And they are not afraid to, when they're interviewing someone, to, yeah, whatever that quote is about Jesus, we're going to put that full quote in there. And I love that you don't shy away from that. That's part of life. And because it's part of life, it's part of your news. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, and I mean, we're, we're super proud, and, and God's hand has been on this thing from the get-go, and if it wasn't, we would have crashed and burned by now, so yeah. praying for that <laughs> to keep going. Somehow he does. He just he just sustains us all in his own way, and, and he makes it all happen. Brian, thank you so much for spending time with us. Is there anything else you'd want to share with, with our listeners before you go? Christ is King. Jesus is Lord. That's it. That's the 
That's a political it. statement also. So <laughs> do with that what you will. Do with that with what you will. Yeah, no no, no, no doubt about it. I love it. Brian Dawson, thank you so much for being with us. We're going to have you back uh, hopefully as a regular guest quarterly at a minimum, I, as long as we can fit into that busy schedule of yours. But uh, we'll keep praying <laughs> for you. You keep digging, bro. Appreciate it. All right. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, guys. No Apology with Emily and Chris is a Fresh Road Media production. We are listener-supported, and we're so thankful for family and friends and listeners who have contributed so far, and we could really use your help. Go to FreshRoadMedia.com and give a prayerful gift for any amount. We really appreciate it. Emily and Chris will be back next week. We'll see you again soon.